This is an ABC podcast. I'm trying to score some medicinal cannabis. I'm told all you have to do is fill out an online form, pay for a prescription, and then have cannabis express posted to your door. Okay, so um, I'm on your website. Yeah, so this is our front page. Yeah. And so if you have a look at the, the page, you can see that we have a number of different treatments that we do. Oh yeah, medicinal cannabis, hair loss, allergies, sleep, sexual health. This is Lisa Beckett. She's a GP who's recently founded telehealth business, Canda. She prescribes cannabis by text message and she shows me just how straightforward it is. If you want to do a medicinal cannabis consult, you just click on this one and then that will... Only seven years ago, cannabis was completely illegal. These days, it's a totally different story. This year's sales in the legal market for medicinal cannabis are expected to top $400 million. It's estimated there are now more than 100,000 Australians who have legal access to the drug. The growth up till now has been exponential and it's made some companies very wealthy. It's been called the green rush. But in their haste to cash in, are these companies acting in the best interests of patients or just trying to push their products? I'll show you where my office is. So this is just your in your home? It is, yes. So we live here and we work here. So we're in a very tight little space in our laundry at the moment because it's the best place for me to have a desk. It's a little bit squishy. Lisa's laptop we'll... sits on a desk opposite her washing machine. She can't push her chair back without knocking a shelf laden with art supplies. Feel free to move whatever you need to. This is where she runs her online medical practice. So it's a bit like a telehealth program, but instead of doing a phone call or a video call, we actually do everything text-based. Lisa's cheerful and welcoming. She has this warm smile and I feel comfortable around her. She started prescribing cannabis by text a few months ago. Lisa tells me it's been incredibly popular. When we first started, we were seeing maybe 10 to 20 consults a week. And then I would say now we see, oh goodness, probably 50 to 100 consults a day. She started the business in part because she was worried about how other cannabis websites were operating. I mean, it's all anecdotal, but we'd heard a lot of stories from patients and from other doctors that there were incentives for prescribing. So the more scripts they had written, the more the the doctors would get paid. And so that obviously leads to some concerns that maybe some of those prescriptions weren't the most appropriate. But how do you undergo a medical consult via text? Lisa hands me her laptop and talks me through the process. So if I start the free screening, uh, it says medicinal cannabis prescribed online and delivered to your door. Generally, you will only be eligible if you have had a medical issue that has been present for at least three months. You've tried managing it with other treatments already. These treatments were not effective, had adverse side effects or were not appropriate for you. Okay, so go next. Um, Do you need cannabis to treat a medical issue that had been present for more than three months? So I'll say yes. Now that we've established I meet the minimum legal requirements to qualify for medicinal cannabis, I need to answer a series of screening questions. There are a lot of yes or no questions, kind of like an online survey. Do I have a family history of schizophrenia or psychosis? Do I have heart, liver or kidney issues? 
Have I experienced seizures? All up, it takes about 15 minutes. Great. So um, says I've completed the initial screening. Based on my answers, medicinal cannabis may be suitable. Um, okay, so should I go ahead and make an account? Put in an email. It's all pretty straightforward. In some cases, the clinic will insist on contacting your GP. And you may also be asked to provide a health summary. But not in every case. At the end of the process, it's time for payment. I'm asked to put in credit card details, and after pressing submit, Lisa gets a notification. I would receive this. Yep. And then basically what I would do from here is I would send you a message through our messaging portal. It looks like um, Facebook Messenger or something like that, but it's on your Candor Medical Absolutely. And so we talk about things like the side effects and their medical history. Now, via an online chat window, a doctor asked me a few additional questions. Why do I need it? What other therapies have I tried? And do I have a preference for the form of cannabis? For example, oil or flower products? Then Lisa can issue a prescription. It's sent to a partner pharmacy. And once the bill's paid online, the drugs are posted directly to your door. The appointment has taken me under an hour. And at no point have I spoken to a doctor over the phone or face-to-face. And if I ever need a repeat, I just have another text message, consult online. We are a business, but we're doing this for the right reasons. I've taken that Hippocratic Oath, I care about what I'm doing, I'm very passionate about what I do. You think it's surprising that you're able to prescribe these potential drugs of dependence with just text messages? Look, they're they're not really that... um, I don't think it's surprising. I think that this is kind of the way that things are heading. We're we're going to be able to provide healthcare on demand and we're living in a society who want that. It wasn't that long ago that the only way to get cannabis in Australia was through a drug dealer or on the dark web. So how did we get here, where you can have it legally posted to your door after just texting a doctor? Lucy Haslam, uh, co-founder and director of United in Compassion, chair and director of Australian Medicinal Cannabis Association. I'm at Lucy's home, sitting opposite her at the kitchen table. I've been here barely two minutes, and already there's a plate of scones in front of me, and I'm being offered a hot drink. Running around us is her excitable labradoodle, Daisy. A tea would be great, thank you. This woman has perhaps done more than anyone in Australia to help legalise medicinal cannabis. But she's an unlikely advocate for the cause. Lucy Haslam was once a nurse, working in country New South Wales, and was very much anti-drug. Her husband Lou had spent years working in the drug squad and arrested a ton of people for cannabis-related offences. Anything I'd learnt about cannabis use was that it was dangerous, um, it was a gateway drug, and that it could potentially cause schizophrenia, so I was quite averse to it. Then in 2010, her son Dan was diagnosed with stage 4 bowel cancer. Dan used cannabis to manage the side effects of his cancer treatments. 
seeing how effectively it helped Dan to manage his symptoms. I couldn't really hold on to the views that I'd had for so long once I saw firsthand how it changed his life. The family didn't want to have to use drug dealers and didn't think it was fair that other cancer patients were denied access to the drug. So during his final months, Dan tirelessly campaigned for the legalisation of medicinal cannabis alongside his mum. Um, thanks to everyone, especially those who've travelled from so far away. Since you've used the cannabis, is it right to say you've had minimal side effects? It's changed my life massively. Dan Haslam and his mum, Lucy, join us now in the studio. Good morning, guys. Good morning. So what we need to do is change the law that ensures that uh, cannabis is treated in the same way as a the medicine. There's been enough talk. Let's get the work underway and let's start to make a difference. Dan and Lucy's lobbying did make a difference. In February 2016, exactly a year after Dan died, the Narcotic Drugs Amendment Act was passed to allow legal access to medicinal cannabis across Australia. It was a big moment, but six years on, things haven't gone exactly as Lucy had hoped. I just wanted it to be like getting any other medication where you went to the doctor, got a script, went to your pharmacy and filled it, and where you probably could afford to pay for it. It's turned out rather different to that. She worries the way it actually works today is open to exploitation. The patient needs to have a really good relationship with the doctor and I think that that is often missing. Yeah, and it really, I suppose, just seems to be more about profit. That seems to be the main motivator. I've tracked down someone who knows firsthand how the system and patients can be exploited. Just put it between the teeth of the grinder and then top on, a few twists. This is 26-year-old Jordan Cooper. Yeah, should be good. He has long, mousy brown dreadlocks and big black spaces in his earlobes. Jordan works full-time in IT. I noticed that he sometimes laughs nervously to punctuate a sentence. Uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> it's around 5pm. Work's finished for the day and he's sitting at his kitchen table. There's a big jar of cannabis just in front of me. When he takes off the lid, I'm struck by this pungent, earthy smell. Jordan takes out a small piece of the dried herb and grinds it, ready to put in his vaporizer. Yeah, I usually just scoop it off with the stem for this particular vape because it's easier. He uses it to treat insomnia, depression and anxiety. I watched Jordan start up the vaporizer, press it to his lips, and begin inhaling. I mean, the first few won't be really anything. It's just a lot of the taste. And yeah, after a few minutes, it's a heavy feeling, um, but calm heavy. In the background, Jordan's partner, Cal, is preparing dinner, and their nine-month-old son, Oscar, is playing in his high chair. <laughs> Kelly is petite, with black hair held up in a clip and thin wire-framed glasses. While she's cutting up carrots, Cal tells me she had no problem when Jordan said he wanted to try medicinal cannabis. I always thought that was it was a medicinal thing anyway. It's not necessarily like a, a, a drug as people saw it so negative. I just thought that, hey, let's give that a go. It seems like a great idea. And ha has it worked for him as far as you're concerned? It's definitely 
made him so so much more chilled. Like you can tell that he sleeps. It's great. But money can be tight and medicinal cannabis is expensive. The young family live in a small three-bedroom unit in Logan, south of Brisbane. Cal works as a tattooist and her income varies from week to week. Most of my spare income is going to that. Yeah, so there's there's not much left over. Like I once once I've paid bills and yeah, there's not really much left over after getting medication. More mainstream pharmaceuticals are subsidised and wouldn't cost you as much. Uh, why have you decided that it's worth it to spend this much money on medicinal cannabis? My well-being. Um, I've contemplated going back to Valley many times. I've had family and yeah, mainly mainly my mum kind of tell me no <laughs> to deal with the side effects and feeling really groggy all the time versus clear-headed and calm. Yeah, it, it's, it's worth it. Jordan used to treat his insomnia using black market weed, but he wanted to see if he could access the drug legally. His doctor told him he had to try approved remedies before resorting to cannabis. I did ask my regular GP. Um, at the time, she wasn't too keen. was okay for me to, to give it a go, but wanted me to try a few different things beforehand. And I, I had tried those things before, but obviously not with um, that particular doctor. So Jordan did a quick search online to find a doctor who was willing to prescribe cannabis. Australian company Canatrek was one of the first sites to pop up. Canatrek was founded in 2015 and it became one of the first companies to receive a medicinal cannabis licence in Australia. I went through Canatrek um, through their access thing online. So I yeah, filled out a questionnaire, um, had an initial call, which I think was free of charge initially. That call was to check if he was eligible. Then Jordan arranged his first consult. The initial consults with a doctor and kind of trek were quite, I mean, I wouldn't say lengthy, but in comparison to what um, the the consults typically are with medical cannabis, it would have been at least 15 minutes, maybe a bit longer. The consultation fees were eye-watering, $300 for the initial appointment, plus hundreds more for the cannabis. Over three appointments with the clinic, Jordan was prescribed a total of five products, all of them from Canatrek. I did ask about other brands and, um, yeah, that doctor told me that they just solely do Canatrek products. Um, may have changed now. Canatrek is one of a number of companies trying to monetize medicinal cannabis and it profits when Jordan buys its products. They're the most successful supplier on the market. An estimated one in three medicinal cannabis products sold at retail pharmacies are from Canatrek. The company is making millions of dollars from these sales each month. But how did Canatrek get here? Was it just business smarts or did they bend the rules along the way? So I've just arrived in Brisbane and I'm about to drive into the suburbs for about an hour from the airport. I can't tell you exactly where I'm going because of the nature of the crop I'm about to visit. I'm legally prohibited from telling you where Canatrek's farm is. And that's because I've had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. But even if I was allowed to tell you, I probably couldn't. 
because I'm struggling to find it. I have no idea if I'm in the right place. Oh, uh, hey Dean, it's Matilda from the ABC. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, good. I think I'm here, but I don't know exactly where I'm meant to be. <laughs> so. yeah, no Dean Clegg is Canatrek's Cultivation Operations Manager at its Brisbane facility. When I finally find their research and development farm, he's waving me down at the front entrance. Hey, how are you doing, Dean? <laughs> uh, welcome. I went so far past where I needed to be. <laughs> Parking is a little tight at the moment. Yeah. I need to go down here and find a spot. When I get out of the car, the first thing I notice are four massive greenhouses behind a security fence. I can smell the unmistakable aroma of cannabis. It's overwhelming, though the staff here barely notice it. This is cultivation manager Jared Ratcliffe. We don't really smell it that often, but yeah, anytime somebody new comes on site, they definitely are. It's yeah, hits him in the face. <laughs> this facility is able to produce 2,000 kilograms of cannabis flower every year. It has thousands of plants, but for Jared, it's considered small. He tells me Canatrek is building an even larger facility in regional Victoria. When it's fully operational, the site should produce 160 tonnes of cannabis a year. Hey, Tommy, how are you going? Thanks so much for having me here again. That's okay. This is Canatrek CEO, Tommy Huppert. When I meet him, he's wearing a branded black Canatrek cap. He's got a distinctive scruffy grey beard and he's clearly passionate about the industry. Tommy's a serial entrepreneur. He started out in the 90s running outdoor educational camps for students learning an additional language. Then he turned his hand to making pita bread, building a factory in Melbourne suburbs. But in 2015, he founded his most successful business venture to date. The vision of Canatrick has always been to build a great company to last. Tommy says the company doesn't pressure or incentivise doctors to prescribe their medications. The reason why we're, we've been successful is that we've made sure we've had industry in the country, the quality and the price. And to make things even easier for doctors, the company retains a large sales team, which helps them choose the right products for their patients. We have a team of MSLs, um, which are um, medical sales liaisons who talk regularly to doctors, answering their questions. In fact, we have now doctors calling us, asking for us to visit them and explain, you know, how does this system work? Doctors aren't required to prescribe Canatrek products, but the reality is, if the companies train them, they're more likely to turn to Canatrek because they're familiar with their goods. Prescribing cannabis is not as straightforward as prescribing regular medication. Unlike most drugs, medicinal cannabis is not an approved therapy. This means it hasn't gone through rigorous clinical trials to prove that it's safe and effective. So doctors have to get permission from the Therapeutic Goods Administration to prescribe it. Because it's experimental and it involves more paperwork, it puts some doctors off. And that's where Canatrek can step in by sponsoring doctors to become approved prescribers. We have over 1,000 approved prescribers where Canatrek has educated and sponsored uh, 
approximately 40% of those approved prescribers. However, some in the industry say Canatrex success is also due to its willingness to push the pharmaceutical advertising rules to the limit or even past breaking point. Canatrex uses the term C to patient. That means that we're able to touch the entire supply chain end to end. On the Australian Facebook page of viral video producers Lad Bible, you can find videos on everything from a never-ending slide to the best celebrity arguments. But in the middle of all that, you can also find Canatrex advertising. Which is the product of choice for patients and grow that particular plant to assist them in their healthcare journey. Now, the rules say Canatrex is not allowed to advertise directly to potential patients, only to doctors. And that's because the decision to take prescription medication should be made with a doctor, not because of something you've seen on social media. We get daily feedback from patients saying that it's changed their lives. But this video ad I've seen on Facebook shows cannabis buds and says it can help treat various conditions like chronic pain, insomnia and depression. Does Canatrex push the, the rules when it comes to marketing direct to patients? Um, I'm not sure if I understand... Because question, uh, obviously with the TGA, you're not allowed to advertise medicinal cannabis directly to patients. Yeah, so the TGA have very strict rules regarding S8 medicines. What do, What are your understanding of the advertising rules around pharmaceuticals? Oh, it's very complex, and and it, and it, there is a lot of difficult interpretation, and it's, and it has been tricky for companies like ourselves to interpret the the TGA guidelines. I asked the TGA about these rules. And to me, they seem pretty simple. Basically, if a reasonable person thinks it's advertising medicinal cannabis to them, then it breaks the rules. I found some questionable examples of Canatrex content online. And while I'm speaking to Tommy, I swing around my laptop to get his view on them. This first one was from November 2020, and it was a crowdfunding document that offers investor rewards. And so if you invested a minimum amount of money in Canatrack, you are offered a free consult with Canatrack Access, 10% off all Canatrack branded products, and also a vaporizer delivered with the approved script. Surely that discount is enticing patients to try medicinal cannabis. Yeah, so the, what we found is that when the industry was established, that it was totally unaffordable. So this was legitimately offered as some kind of giving back to patients or investors who are investing in us. Even if the intent wasn't to advertise or entice people to try medicinal cannabis, can you see how you know a reasonable person viewing that material might think, oh, this is advertising Canatrex offerings? Um, well, I, I think it all comes down to interpretation and we interpreted the TGA guidelines at the time and we made a decision and we have not been um, penalised for that. July 2021... Uh, you rolled out a major marketing campaign which promoted your telehealth services. Part of that was an advertising feature in the Newcastle Herald that was titled Why We're Turning to Medicinal Cannabis to Improve Mental Health. That advertising feature has been taken down. Was that under direction of the TGA or why did that happen? Um, very good question. I have to check with my compliance team. Tommy said he'd go away and check with his team about whether Canatrex advertising broke rules. After a week, he came back to me via email and said that information was commercial in confidence. Turns out I wasn't the only one asking questions about Canatrex advertising. 
A few weeks after my interview with Tommy, I got an alert from the TGA. Three medicinal cannabis companies had been fined almost a million dollars for alleged unlawful advertising. When I opened the email, I saw one of the companies was Canatrek. They were issued 22 infringement notices and fined more than $293,000 for the alleged unlawful advertising of medicinal cannabis products on their website and social media platforms. I asked Tommy if he wanted to talk to me about the fine, but he hasn't got back to me. Where do you keep your medication? I'm back in Jordan's lounge room in suburban Brisbane. I keep it in a drawer that's locked. Um, in the middle of the room, there's a coffee table. Jordan unclips a child lock and opens a drawer. Inside is a smorgasbord of cannabis products. So you do something in jars. Um, yeah, usually just in jars, write the product name or the um, strain name on it and open that. It looks like a lot of cannabis, and it hasn't come from Canatrek Access, the company he first used to get a prescription over the phone. Jordan tells me he doesn't use that clinic anymore. Towards the end, as I kind of started asking for more products and different products and kind of questioning a bit more in depth about what could be helping me, um, I kind of felt that the doctors weren't overly knowledgeable Yeah, so at that point, I kind of wanted to see what else was out there. Jordan started hunting around for another clinic. The one he eventually found was called CDA. In Jordan's first appointment, done via another phone consult, he was told he could get access to what CDA called its special treatment program. Once he was in, the special treatment program gave Jordan extraordinary control over his cannabis products. This was new for Jordan. Previously, he'd been prescribed specific cannabis products chosen by the doctor. Now he could pick and choose from dozens of cannabis buds with names like Lemon Haze, Cheesequake and Rocky. Yeah, you just get a list of all of the products uh, that are available to CDA. According to the company, the special treatment program was set up to give patients access to alternative cannabis drugs in case their own product happened to be out of stock, which had been the case a lot over the past 12 months, in part due to COVID. And then looking at the sativa products. Doing it like this saved patients an extra trip to the doctor. Um, It's just got a list of all of them, the price, um, if you click on one of them and open it up, it'll have product photos, but of the packaging, um, recommended retail price. There were some restrictions to the program. Jordan still had to take part in semi-regular telehealth appointments and there was a limit to how much cannabis he could order. But that limit was 60 grams a month, way more than he had access to before. Looking at your scripts from the first uh, clinic you were with, and so... For 2021, with that first clinic, you averaged using about five grabs a month. And then when you went with CDA, you were instantly prescribed 12 times that and given control over the products you were ordering. Um, did that strike you as, as quite a lot to be, um, to be given access to? I guess on the outside, yeah. Um, but the, the thing is that I was trying to get more product at Catatrek, like... I wouldn't say it was actually a big jump from 
what I was wanting to treat. Yeah. yeah. But what happened after a follow-up appointment at CDA in February this year shocked even Jordan. I got sent a possession letter, just a letter outlining that I'm prescribed cannabis and these are the products um, because I was planning to travel at that time. So on that letter is where I saw that it had moved from 60 to 90 grams, which I found kind of weird. At that time, Jun was using around 30 to 35 grams of cannabis flour a month. He already had an ordering limit of 60 grams a month, almost double what he needed. And now that ordering limit had jumped again, without Jordan asking, to 90 grams, almost triple what he was actually using. It's odd. It's, yeah, I don't know why they would have thought, like it wasn't discussed with me. Um, So yeah, it it came as a surprise and it still is quite confusing. (laughs) Do you think that was responsible to give you a 90 gram ordering limit a month where you could control the products? Does that strike you as responsible medical practice? No, not to prescribe more than what's needed, especially with a drug that's you know, one of the highest schedules in, in the country. It's, um, yeah, definitely not. It's just asking for it to be diverted to the black market. This isn't a theoretical risk. I've been sent a number of screenshots where you can clearly see medicinal cannabis products being sold at up to four times the retail price on encrypted messaging apps. They have photos of the cannabis still in their branded packaging. And when I go looking for medicinal cannabis products on the black market, they only take about five minutes to find. When I pointed all this out to CDA, I got a response from their parent company, Kronos, that said, Our company is not aware of such a site. However, potential leakage of product onto the illicit market is something our company takes very seriously. The statement also said that changes to the special treatment program were made at the start of August, after the TGA made it easier to change products when there are stock outages. Patients are now limited to four cannabis flower products at any one time and can only make one product change per month after a medical review. So why did CDA give Jordan access to 90 grams of cannabis a month, a lot more than he needed or asked for? The company makes money from the wholesale and distribution of products. So the more products the company moves, the more money it makes. And this raises questions about conflict of interest for doctors who happen to be both investors in the company and prescribers of its products. My name's Dr Ben Jansen. I'm a founding director and um, uh, one of the doctors of Cannabis Doctors Australia. Dr Ben Jansen wouldn't speak to us for this program, but this is an interview he did in 2019. Our youngest patient is two years old. Our eldest patient is 98 years old. CDA has described Dr Jansen as one of the most experienced Australian clinicians in his field and says he's been involved in the treatment of thousands of patients using medicinal cannabis. So when Dr Jansen prescribed cannabis for these patients, most of the time the company he co-founded made money. And it turns out Dr Jansen was also the doctor who approved the increase in Jordan's order limit from 60 to 90 grams. I asked Jordan if he could remember whether Dr Jansen mentioned this conflict of interest. He said while it could have happened, he didn't recall any disclosures. 
speaking with him, it wasn't, they weren't long calls anyway, maybe a few minutes. <laughs> when I asked CDA's parent company how they disclose conflicts of interest like this to patients, a spokesperson said... CDA patients are required to provide informed consent prior to treatment by signing a patient consent form, which states, I acknowledge that my cannabis doctor and this practice may have an interest in medicinal cannabis and hemp companies. Furthermore, I acknowledge that my prescription, treatments or recommendations may benefit the CDA group and or this practice. This is also stated by the applicable doctor at the beginning of the consultation verbally. Jordan would have been required to sign this form. The statement went on to say... CDA doctors, and any doctor as a matter of fact, are required to prescribe using their own independent judgement and cannot be influenced by any other party. Our doctors are not incentivised in any way to prescribe one product over another. They are paid to provide a service. Everything we do is governed by transparency, accountability and adherence to the laws that govern the prescribing of medicines. Still... There are concerns that these sorts of closed-loop business models can create serious conflicts of interest. The issue with it is that there might be decisions that are made for commercial reasons rather than best patient care. This is the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners addiction medicine specialist, Dr Hester Wilson. If I, as a doctor, was working in one of those clinics that only allowed me to provide a particular cannabis product, I would be wanting to tell each and every patient, I want to let you know I'm working for this company. They only allow me to supply these particular brands of cannabis. Do you think those disclosures are being appropriately made in medicinal cannabis at the moment? I think it's very variable. I think there are times when it is absolutely very well done and other times when it's not. And my concern is that this potentially is a group of people who are quite vulnerable. They have significant illness. They may not have a great deal of money and they also may not have all the information that they need to make informed choice. And really that's, that's what we want is we want there to be informed choice for people. Having it only in the fine print in your view is not enough. How many of us read the fine print? You know, every day we turn around and there's new terms or conditions, you know, every time you do the update on your phone, how many of us read down to the bottom of that fine print? I think that is, it's legalistic and it's not appropriate in the medical setting. And we really do need to have it front and centre. When cannabis was first legalised, finding a doctor willing to prescribe the drug was almost impossible. To fill the void, cannabis suppliers set up specialist clinics where they brought on doctors to prescribe the drugs they were making. These closed-loop systems are now incredibly common. However, the Royal Australian College of GPs said these sorts of setups simply wouldn't be allowed if cannabis was an approved drug. It's not done as far as I'm aware. So in Australia, for one example, we wouldn't expect to have a pharmaceutical company who makes opioids sponsoring a pain clinic or setting up a pain clinic no, for patients? Not at all. Not at all. And there are very clear laws and memorandums around pharmaceutical companies uh, and what money they can offer and what that can look like. And look, I am supportive of cannabis being available, but it really needs to, you know, it really needs to be a very clear, transparent process. 
Because cannabis is an unapproved therapy, it lives in a regulatory grey space and can be prescribed using unconventional and potentially conflicted models. This is what CDA's parent company said in a statement. Like many other Australian companies, we are working within the framework to provide patients in need with medicinal cannabis treatments. As a company with shareholders, we need to be sustainable to continue providing services like the rest of the health industry. But there are no shortcuts in such a highly regulated environment. The merger between CDA and its parent company, Kronos, happened in December 2021. And since then, several doctors and nurses appear to have left, including Dr Jansen, who was the company's chief medical officer right up until September this year. Now some patients are leaving too. Jordan Cooper is one of them. Yeah, it, it, it got messy towards the end. Can you describe how it felt? Did it feel like they were just it, it, it felt It felt like a retail environment, like... Yeah, I ask for the weed I want and pay for it and it shows up sometime a few days later. It wasn't really anything more than that. I mean, even the three monthly follow-ups, it was very, is it working? Okay, cool. We'll just renew it and see you again in three months. Since leaving, Jordan's done some research and found an independent cannabis doctor who does telehealth from Victoria. I, I felt confident that they knew what they were doing and that I was in much better hands. Well, this is our presentation, which I'm having trouble. Back on the Sunshine Coast, Lucy Haslam, the former nurse who lost her son Dan to cancer, is preparing for a trip to Melbourne. So on Friday, we have the opportunity to present to the Australian Advisory Council on Medicinal Use of Cannabis. And we've been invited to come along and talk to them about our proposal for a compassionate access scheme. Lucy is going over her presentation. Um, yeah, so just going through my slides now, I hope they're, I hope they're all great. She wants to make medicinal cannabis more affordable and is calling for greater transparency around conflicts of interest. The clinics fulfilled a need um, and Whilst that was good in some ways, I think, you know, a few years down the track, we're starting to see that that has a lot of negative implications for patients as well. They're going to the doctor to be told what they need, walking away with very empty wallets and a large amount of, of cannabis products that they don't necessarily need. Lucy also wants an independent code of conduct for all cannabis clinicians. I think for the sake of the industry in general, it would be nice to be able to try and clean up practices where there is vested commercial interest or closed loop sort of arrangements, prescribing of products that are not necessarily the best product for the patient, but based more on the financial interests of the prescriber. I think, you know, that's, that doesn't sit well with anybody and it, it shouldn't be allowed to happen. Advocacy is like a full-time job for Lucy. Even though she wants to step away, she says she'll keep fighting for her son, Dan. Dan was really brave, you know. He wanted me to make sure I didn't stop until everybody could access it legally and affordably. And, you know, that's why I'm still here now. The job's not done. Background briefing sound producers are Lila Shuna and Ingrid Wagner. 
Sound engineering by Isabella Tropiano. Fact-checking by Ben Sveen. Background Briefing's supervising producer is Mario Christodoulou. Our executive producer is Fanu Falali, and I'm Matilda Morozzi. You can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.